Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Big Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I am Charlie Hunt, and I'm here uh, with my erstwhile co-host, uh, Luke Fowler. Uh, Luke, how's it going? It's getting a little little chilly out. I see you've broken out the flannel. Yes. Well, uh, it has getting fi- All of a sudden, it feels like fall. And I'll say, I don't think I've ever been described as erstwhile before, so I'm going to take that as a compliment. You know, I'm not even 100% sure what it means, so I, 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 I meant it as a compliment, so, a compliment. Let, so let's go with that. Uh, well, uh, it's, we got me and Luke here, uh, and we have a great show today. We're, we're very lucky to be joined by uh, Brandy Burns, the uh, I believe the History Projects Manager at the Boise City uh Department of Arts and History. Brandy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks. It's great to have you. Uh, We have Brandy here for a number of reasons. Uh, We'll talk a little bit later about uh, uh, your your project and your upcoming article about the 50th anniversary of the Boise River Greenbelt, which Luke and I were saying we didn't even know it was 50 years old. Uh, but first, uh, let's just hear a little bit about uh, your story. You know, uh, what's the Boise uh, 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 Department of Arts and History all about? Uh, what kind of stuff do you do there? Yeah, we're a really unique department. We were started in 2008, and we the unique model of it is because we combine both art and history and no municipal department in the country really does that and that's because we have a mayor that values history and understanding the context of where we are today and we strive really hard to do placemaking in that community context so that what you get is really Boise and not just somewhere else you can get any but anywhere else and as the history programs manager I get to do the history side which includes lectures and research and presentations like about the 50th anniversary of the Greenbelt all right so uh, other than the 50th anniversary of the Greenbelt what's been your favorite project that you've done so far well in 2013 we did Boise sesquicentennial which oh wow I'm I'm not going to even try to pronounce that. (laughs) We had a whole video in that year teaching people how to say sesquicentennial. (laughs) So it's fun. It was commemorating the 150th anniversary of Boise's founding. And we really looked at the history and our present time as a city through the lens of community, community, environment, and enterprise. Because throughout... Whichever time you pick in Boise's history, those three themes do a really excellent job of, um, they're, they're a good, like a, a little spot to hang your coat on to do some interpretation. Sure. And so that, does a lot of that interpretation involve, you know, looking at our history, where we've been and connecting it to, to, to where we are today and a lot of the things that are still important to us today, would you say? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do as the historian is to take a story from the past and connect it to with what we are seeing today. So in our Fettuccine Forum series that is in its 16th season now, we oft, I've really had the pl- pre- privilege excuse me, of finding these really great scholars to talk about the past and connect it with what we're dealing with today. So can you give us an example of that? Like what, what kind of people have participated in this forum? Um, we've been hosting some scholars from the Organization of the American Historians, and they we've had one come and talk about the New Deal. We had just this last 
March or April, we had our local professor, Jill Gill, come and talk about Idaho's um, history in black and white, so our race relations and why Idaho is the way it is today looking at that past. So what, uh, so what brought you to uh, the department to begin with? What sort of, what, what's your journey as, as, a, as a historian? Yeah, well, I started out wanting to be a pharmacist, and that didn't work. <laughs> Quick change of plan. Quick change. That's cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed my history classes at the at Idaho State University, mm-hmm. and I did an internship for Idaho's only scholarly scholarly journal, Idaho Yesterdays, and that put me in contact with Laura Woodruff and I and Dr. Todd Shallot. And when I applied for Boise State, I got a fellowship. And that fellowship was really unique and it placed me in the, the newly formed Department of Arts and History because they, they hadn't funded the history side yet. It was just me as a graduate student, 19 hours a week, trying to figure out what does history look like at a municipal level. And I've just always really loved combining that you know history with local government and policy making. Do you think there is something uh, special about local history? You know, when, when a lot of times, you know, when we think of, his, you know, historians, you know, maybe we think about people writing about, you know, I don't like the founding fathers or, you know, these broad sweeping histories of the world. What is it that you what what do you find special about local history and specifically about sort of Boise's history? Oh, I really love local history and just history in general, because I think it's really the best way to create a sense of self and find that sense of place in somewhere really unique and then to come together as a community over a shared past, even if that past is complicated and not always pretty. Absolutely. So I'm intrigued by you uh, talking about the Department of Arts and History, that being a unique model for, for municipalities. And I I've, was unaware of that. Um, so can you talk like why that is unique and how other cities do it and kind of what what this means for the city of Boise and why they're like this is something special that we do? Yeah. Most municipalities will have an arts commission and then usually like a historic preservation commission or and they put that in the the planning department. So they're usually always very separate. And so we're unique because we've put it together and we have a full department that is at the level of a, like the fire department or the parks department. Like we get a budget just in the same process that they do, which is really unique. A lot of other cities end up just, you know, finding money and targeting it towards there. So we have this great opportunity to use the history and and our really great pot of local local artists to really interpret the place a Boise as a place. No, that sounds a uh, very interesting. And again, when I think of arts and history, I, I guess I guess I can understand why they don't seem to go together. But when I heard that, I was thinking culture, right, and cultural preservation. But I think that's probably why Boise still has this kind of unique culture to itself, even with all the changes, is because. I mean, those connections that have been kind of formed. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. A lot of the public art that we have references Boise's history. And the public art program has really been going since the ni- 1978 as, a, as an arts commission. So when you look around and you see those wonderful pieces of art that are out on the street, they are hearkening back to that past and what's unique about Boise. 
Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, how how do you think about sort of the you know the the future of the arts and history department, especially as you have, you know, we have a very fast changing city with a history that's changing very fast. Uh, you know, how 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 might people sort of look back on us now as we're as we're changing? You know, what 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 they're going to be doing fifty years from now or something? Oh well, I think that there's a lot of things that they can look at. We've you know, one place that we are right now is we're experiencing a lot of growth. And Boise's really been growing since the 1970s. And when you look back at that history of the 70s, you can see those growing pains and how the city responded and residents responded and, and what they did. And so I think that no matter what time we are in the future, reflecting back in 50 years or 25 years, whatever it is, they will find some kind of little morsel to to help them with whatever problem they're facing in the future. Great. Well, that's uh, interesting stuff. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to talk about the Greenbelt and its upcoming 50th uh, anniversary. Hello, this is CrispinGlover.com, and you're listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise, community radio for Boise and beyond. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Big Tent on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. Uh, I'm Charlie Hunt, here with my co-host Luke Fowler, and uh, uh, we were just talking with uh, Brandy Burns, the History Projects Manager for the Boise City Department of Arts and History. And Brandy, you've been working on a really cool uh, project uh, over the past few months, I imagine, uh, maybe even years, uh, on uh, what I didn't know, which is that uh, this year is the 50th anniversary of the the Boise River Greenbelt. Greenbelt, is that right? Yes, and I think we started about a year ago with uh, the Parks Department and our department and some other internal stakeholders to really look at what this year would look like for to, to commemorate that anniversary. So, what kind of uh, what uh, what kind of uh, you know research did you end up sort of uh, doing into this, and what were maybe some interesting factoids that you found? Oh, there's so many. There, when I first started on the project, I started reading David Proctor's book Pathway of Dreams. He published that in 2016, and he really was a remarkable local author and journalist. And he passed away not too long ago, and so his book was really pivotal in um, letting me know what kind of resources there were out there. And as I read that, there were all of these quotes from these oral histories that were done with Greenbelt pioneers from 1998. So they were they were telling the stories of how the Greenbelt got started and what their involvement was. And I wanted to listen to the whole interview and not just see the small quotes. Well, it turned out I couldn't find them anywhere and they were just they'd been missing and it it came out that they really had been missing since 99 so almost 20 years when they were first recorded so I went on a hunt for them and David Proctor he helped me with some clues and what other leads I should try and it was it was I, I didn't think I would find them but my word, I did. <laughs> so we got 30 interviews of these original people involved with the Greenbelt and their 
both the taped interviews and we've been able to transcribe them. And so one of the really exciting things that I look forward to is working with our archivists to make those interviews accessible to the public so anyone can do that research into the Green Belt. I mean, and they talk about Boise in the 60s and 70s and what was going on. I mean, there's a lot of potential in those interviews. So uh, the Green Belt is... I would say it was probably like one of the biggest like cultural points in all of Boise. I don't I actually don't know anybody who doesn't enjoy like or doesn't interact with the Green Belt at some point in their like daily or weekly lives, right? So everybody sort of loves it. So like, where did this idea come from? Because at some point, like, I'm surprised that it's 50 years old, but I'm also kind of surprised that it hasn't been here forever. So like, can you kind of like give us some insight to where this came from? Yeah, and you know. There are communities now that are just looking at installing green belts in their area. So it's a really contemporary type of project. But our green belt didn't get started until the 1960s. The first documented evidence that we can find in paper is it came out during Boise's first comprehensive plan, which they hired a firm from California called Atkins and Associates to write this planning document for Boise and in it they mention that you know they noticed these parks that we had along the Greenbelt including Ann Morrison Park and Julia Davis and they said really you have a great opportunity to create a continuous belt of green space along the river and when the city adopted that in 1964 Bill Onweiler he was elected as a council member uh, in 1965 and he became a really good a really loud spoken proponent for it and it was it just became a community effort to make it happen so looking back at that history and uh, that I find it interesting that again is to always been to connect these parkways uh, when you look back at that have I guess the the purpose of the green belt shifted or the way that maybe citizens viewed it shifted over time or did you find any evidence of that and i'm just curious if basically it was seen in the 1960s in the same way that we kind of see it and treat it today well before the green belt idea came about the river was really just boise's back door nobody was paying attention to it it was a waste disposal system and which happened in all kinds of cities across the country with rivers in them but when the green belt came about the public was were looking for more recreational opportunities and the river had been a little it had been cleaned up a little bit by little bit through the 1950s through various measures and so all of a sudden in the 60s people are seeing the river as an amenity instead of as a trash can <laughs> <laughs> and so they were they were really excited about this ability to play on the river and to get access to the river. Before that, um, there were lots of different private property owners along the banks of the river, and there were really very few areas that the public could gain access to the river. So it really was um, an exciting idea for them to be able to get that access. Absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, I, I, bike over you know on a that little bridge over the over the river near uh, bsu's campus every single day to to get to work it's like the highlight of my day uh what do you feel like is sort of the you know the the broader kind of cultural significance of the, of the green belt you know as it is today and as it sort of uh, continues to grow well i think that there's a i think a couple answers to that question one is that it really it's a it was a community effort, and I think it still symbolizes community for us here in town. Um, it was really a 
development in the 60s that helped push Boise into becoming a modern city. And today it really is one of our markers of a modern city, like from residents to visitors alike. Everybody loves the Greenbelt and coming together um, on the Greenbelt. And I think that it will continue to shape our community because it is just like a convergence of many ideas. In the beginning, it was comprehensive planning and public access, and all of it was an ability to have development in the floodplain, and it just, it grew. I mean, the original Greenbelt pioneers did not initially have the desire or idea to do river restoration and habitat restoration, but today that's very much a part of what the Greenbelt is. And so I can see the role of it continuing to transform through our needs in the coming years. Do you have any uh, particular favorites, uh, spots or locations on the Greenbelt? Anywhere sort of, uh, you know, you personally like to like to go on the Greenbelt? I have two. Okay. One is a little known spot called the John Booth Memorial Park. It's right there where Royal Boulevard extends past 9th and Capitol Boulevard. It was really one of the first little pieces that they tried to get done for the green belt. It didn't have a path, but it was it's still a cute little area. And then Shoreline Park is my other favorite spot. It was really the first major accomplishment of the green belt. It was dedicated in July 1975. Oh, that's great. That's great. And there's so many uh, wonderful spots on the Greenbelt. So uh, for our listeners that are, are more interested in this kind of anniversary and some of the celebrations, I know you have an article coming out in the Blue Review in the next couple of weeks, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so it's going to cover some of this history, and we'll make sure to tweet that out. But you can go to the, the Blue Review and check it out. But if they want to be involved in any of the celebrations or events kind of surrounding this, do you have anywhere they can go or anything they should look up, Orana? Yes. Today they should join us at the Egyptian Theater. The doors open at 530 and the the program begins at 6.30. You can hear from the mayor and the parks director, Doug, and I'll have a 15-minute history presentation. And you can join us tomorrow at 10.30 for a, a time capsule unveiling at Shoreline Park. And then we're going to do walking and biking tours at starting in Ann Morrison Park from 12 to 4. So people can join in and do that and learn about specific development along the Greenbelt. And Saturday is a fun run and party and concert in Ann Morrison Park. There are a lot of opportunities for people to be involved. Wow, that sounds uh, terrific and a, and a great thing to celebrate, right? Um, but we are going to take a quick break, And but when we come back, we're going to talk about the next big historical event that's coming up in the next year that you'll be working on. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Nicole from Mr. Gnome, and you are listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Welcome back to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise. We're back again with uh, with historian Brandy Burns of the of the city of Boise's uh, Department of Arts and History. We were just talking about the 50th anniversary of the Greenbelt, but uh, another uh, major nationwide anniversary uh, coming up this year, and it's one of your next big projects, right, Brandy? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And we are just so excited for this project. The state's going to be working on it. 
all of the states in the nation will have s- some kind of anniversary celebration. So no matter where you're at, you can enjoy it. And we're going to focus on Boise's role in the amendment and Idaho's position, too. So it seems like a, a great time in modern American history to stop and think about feminism and gender equality and all those type of things. So can you tell us more about like what, what went on in Boise at that time and kind of what the role was? I, I know, I believe uh, Wyoming is the suffrage state, right? Because they were the first to create uh, equality in voting. And uh, so I, is, was Idaho a leader on this or were they far behind? Or honestly, I don't know the history. Yeah. Well, What's really interesting about Idaho's role in it is Wyoming is first, Utah came second, and then Idaho is third. Significantly later after Wyoming and Utah, we passed an amendment to our state constitution in 1896 that granted women the right to vote, but really we should have been earlier. There was a a bill proposed in 1870 by a gentleman in eastern Idaho that would have put us right there at the same time that Wyoming granted women the right to vote. But it did not pass. It tied 11 to 11. So Mm. they just threw it out. And over the years, there were a few more efforts, but it took all the way to 1896 to get that constitutional amendment. And then, so here we are in the West. The, The West really was a leader in suffrage. And it took until 1920 for the 19th Amendment to pass nationwide. Do you have a sense for why some of these Western states were sort of on the forefront of this fight? Was it sort of a, you know, a, a, a cultural progressivism in a way, or, or, or what? What's your sort of explanation for why that was? Um, what comes up in a lot of the sources is that there's low population here. So it was one way to attract more people to move to the Western territories. And um, so not not really quite too progressive. They, they just wanted no. population. <laughs> sure. Um, there, Idaho struggled for a bit to get suffrage because... Um, like Utah granted it early and there are reasons that they say it was because of polygamy and all of that and and one of the reasons why Idaho didn't grant suffrage early is they they argued that the Mormon women, women would only vote with what their husband told them to mm. and at the time the Mormon population was about 25% of the territory which was really huge um, so that did block it um, it's really just political why we had the right to vote sure sure <laughs> so uh let's fast forward to the 1920s and the 19th amendment so what what kind of things were going on in boise at the time or, or what kind of role did, did boise play in all of this boise was mostly trying to be a supporter for the 19th amendment there were several women who were involved uh one was margaret s roberts she is sometimes referred to as one of the big um suffrage leaders of idaho and what happened in well idaho doesn't really come out looking too good in the 19th amendment (laughs) because senator bora he was one of idaho's senators at the time and he initially said he supported suffrage back in the early 1800s um i mean late 1800s but by 1913 and into the later 1900s he said that he believed that it was more a state's issue so state state rights um he kind of Mm. colluded with the south on that and it really 
um, held up the 19th Amendment. It, it took away another supporter. And so in the, in the 19, like 1919, 1920, you see Carrie Chapman Catt writing a letter to Margaret Roberts here in Idaho telling her that she needs to get our governor to have a special session to um, adopt the 19th Amendment um, and that we really needed to do that because it was really Idaho's fault for the, at least keeping the nation women, the nation, the national women from voting for at least two years because of Senator Boris' position. Wow. Wow, fascinating stuff. So um, you talked about earlier that there, there's going to be plans for celebrations in every state. Like, what, what kind of things are on the agenda for, for here in Idaho and here in Boise? There's going to be a ton going on. In Boise, we've, we're going to have an exhibit at City Hall that talks about both the national story of suffrage and, and Idaho's role in that and Boise's role. We're going to have open houses every month so that anyone can come in and have a sort of a guided experience in the exhibit if they so please. Then we're going to have our Fettuccine Forum focused specifically on the theme of citizenship and suffrage. Then we're going to have a smaller lecture series called Spill the Tea on Suffrage. And that's where we're going to tell more of those local stories. And when the weather gets nice, we will do a walking tour of suffrage sites in town. And a lot of it will be like the houses the women lived at, the state house, and all of these key locations that that history transpired at. And we're going to have a, a film screening and what else am i missing well i mean it's fascinating no matter what and as you know especially as we go into 2020 and uh you know in 2018 uh you know of course i gotta bring it back to american politics uh you know a historic number of women elected to congress and uh you know several very prominent uh uh you know women running for president this year um do you feel like uh, this this anniversary of the Nineteenth Amendment has some some special significance, sort of, uh, you know, given the way sort of uh, we're we're going politically? Oh, I, I I think so. It's just a great way, a great point for us to talk about not only our history but where we are going and and like how far we've come, but how far we still need to go. Sure. Um, there's, I mean. There's so much to talk about. I mean, it's the 2020 census year. It's the 15th Amendment anniversary. I mean, it's all coming together of really over the theme of what are our rights as citizens and how do we participate in government. And so, I mean, uh, again, we talk about this in our, our classrooms all the time, that these are still pressing questions that we have in American society. And it's it's funny, I guess, that, you know, we, we passed this amendment to give voting equality 100 years ago, but we're still struggling with the idea of gender equality in our society. So, I mean, I think even though we're, we're talking about history, I mean, these are still really uh, appropriate questions for us to talk about and think about. So uh, for any of our listeners that, that are interested in these events coming up, uh, where should they check? Like, where should they look for all of this? They should go to our website, BoiseArtsAndHistory.com. Org, and they can, of course, call or email us anytime. All right, fantastic. So uh, if you're our listeners, please look forward to all that in the next year. Um, and I'm, I'm Luke Fowler here with my co-host, Charlie Hunt, and our special guest, Brandy Burns. And it's been a great show.